We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. And we'll tell you up front, as of the recording of this podcast right now, um, there's been no Juan Soto trade at this point. So when you start listening to this, uh, it's very possible that a trade's happened or a trade hasn't happened if you're listening after 6 o'clock. Uh, it's also possible during the recording of this podcast that we get news of a Juan Soto trade. Uh, I am all over it, Tommy. It's as if we're doing a live radio show. I am on Twitter uh, waiting uh, to see if there's any news. There's a lot of, right now, as Coach Thompson used to call, scuttlebutt. There's a lot of scuttlebutt around the Padres right now and their interest in the package they may put together. But uh, if something happens, um, we will tell you. Um, do you think it's going to happen or not? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought all along he's going to get traded before the trading deadline, but he's only getting traded if the Nationals get the package they want. They're not going to trade him say, well, we, we've got no choice. We have to accept, you know, the best offer we've gotten. They can say, we, we're taking the best offer we want. If they don't trade them, they can trade them this winter. And that's the you way know, it should or, be, right? I mean, yes, you, uh, I yes mean, that's right. You yeah. shouldn't make this deal until you get what you want. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that makes, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think part of the conversation about the trade urgency before August 2nd, before the deadline today, was this was the best package you will ever get because somebody, if it's a contender, will have uh, the player for a minimum of three postseasons potentially. But the more and more I talk to people, including you, the more and more I realize, you know, whatever package they get, it's probably get offered. It probably won't be that much different than what they get in the offseason. Now, if they were to wait two years – and trade them before the deadline um, in 2024 or the deadline even next year, you know, a full year from now. That's different. But an off-season trade, um, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, I had Chelsea Janes on the radio this morning, and she made a good point. She said, look, some teams feel comfortable with their position right now because they're in contention, you know, like a St. Louis, like the Dodgers, who have the best record in baseball, and they may just they, they they may prefer to wait, and you may get the same or a better deal when the season's over. 
So you know Rizzo, yeah. he's not he's not trading him unless the learners have told him they've got he's got to trade him without getting a major haul back because this is something he's done well, which is trade players, make trades. Yes, yes. And uh, now the other caveat, speaking of the learners, is Rizzo can make the deal, have it all set, ready to go, and then the learners can pull that rug out from under him and say, no, don't trade him, like they did with Bryce Harper. In uh, in his contract here, Rizzo had a good deal with the Astros set up to trade him at the trading deadline, and the learners got cold feet at yeah. right right at the second. Right, and they could decide that they don't want to be the bad guys right now. They don't mind being the bad guys in the winter because you know, I mean, it's baseball in the winter. People pay attention to it for a couple of days in December, you know, and that's it during the winter meetings. But uh, in the middle of the season and have to ride out the rest of their last season as being the bad guys who traded Juan Soto, the learners may, may not want to do that. Well, I wanted to say, and like these are people who cover baseball uh, on a regular basis, much more plugged in than me, and I'm sure they're accurate in their reporting about the teams that are interested in Soto. But I'm kind of surprised that some small market team like, uh, or smaller market, lower payroll team like the Indi- the Indians, the Guardians, or somebody else isn't taking a shot at Soto. I mean, because you're committing to him for, it's probably, you know, for two and a half years. You're not committing to him for, I mean, which means probably about $50 million dollars. Over the next two right. and a half I think years, it's, right? Exactly, it's right and, around there. And I think I think that's manageable, even for a small market team, knowing that you know this is this is. A, I mean, the tickets that you could sell, the revenue you could create from being in the postseason, if you think you've got a chance at the postseason, and you're a small market team, and Juan Soto, you think can put you in there. It, and the thing that scares off teams are the long term commitment. Not necessarily the annual salary. I think yeah, I think most teams in baseball would love to pay players per year. You know, I mean, they pay them they pay them fifty million dollars a year if they could pay them per year per performance. But it doesn't work that way. So I'm just kind of surprised a small market team doesn't take a chance uh, on this because uh, again, you know, you're free and clear after 2024. If I told you that he does get traded that uh, tonight by six o'clock, who's the team that you think pulled the trigger and, and got it done? Well, this is just based on the the uh, buzz that's out there. I would say the Padres. Uh, Rizzo has dealt with the Padres before. That's how he got Trey Turner and Joe Ross in, in, in that deal. Uh, he's familiar with the Padres GM. Uh, he has a relationship with the Dodgers. We know that Stan Caston, the team president of the Dodgers, is the one who hired Rizzo uh, here in Washington as the assistant GM. Um, I would say the Padres. Um, Barry's Verluga did report because the Padres have the Padres have to compete with the Dodgers, yeah. and they can't afford. Not only do they have to compete with the Dodgers. They can't afford to have him go to the Dodgers. Zuckerman's um, uh, point on the Padres this morning with me on radio was, you know, the Padres are probably willing to overspend more than anybody because they're not where the Dodgers are. 
and they need to get to where the Dodgers are. They've never won the World Series. Um, they, you know, they were in it in 84. They were in it in 98. They've never won the World Series, and they've had a good team here the last couple of years. Uh, Barry's Verluga did report uh, a little while ago that as the trade deadline approaches, there's growing a growing sense that the Padres are the most likely landing spot for Juan Soto, and in a twist, perhaps Josh Bell, too. Multiple people have heard there's mo- momentum in those talks. So we shall see. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to break down each of the, you know, prospect um, uh, possibilities for each of the three likely teams, Dodgers, Cardinals, and Padres. But I I would say to you this, that regardless of the deal they make, if there isn't at least one big league player, if not two, that are ready to contribute much sooner rather than later – it's going to make an impossible thing to sell even more impossible because you can't really win the PR of this if you're Mike Rizzo or the learners, if it happens. Trying to explain this is going to be pretty hard because you can't, you can't guarantee anything. The only thing you can say is we didn't think we would be able to sign him in two and a half years, and this was the time and probably the best offer we're going to get. We, you can't tell us and sell us on the players that you got. We won't know anything for three or four years minimum if they're all prospects, if they're all 19, 20, and 21 years old. So I think they need – I agree. They need like a – I agree. They need a big league player that, that people have heard of that makes – you know gives them a chance with what they have now and what they might be able to add, by the way, when they don't have Soto's $47 million on the books for the next two years – because remember, if they do trade him, they're not going to owe him. Forget the, the the 440. He's 17 next year, right? And I think it's 30 something the year after that. Because you just no, said I it think was... it's more like I think he's making 17 this year. Oh, okay. And I think he's going to be in the 20s next year and probably okay. in the 30s the year after that. So that makes it even more. So you're talking about half of what's what's left this year. So call it you know eight and a half, and then you know just call it 50 in, in com- 55 in combination. So yeah, right. I mean you're going to have all of that money to spend on other players when free agency comes. I mean you've got to be able to sell the fact that with this big leaguer or these two big leaguers and these prospects. And by the way, the mo- and hopefully they're under contract and they've got years left on their deals too because that's going to be crucial too. We've got, we've also got the money that's freed up over the next couple of years to go round out what we think will give us a better chance to contend you know by 2024. You were the one that told me that you thought they would be better than they were this year. I'm not knocking you for it. They've had all these injuries. No Strasburg, Corbin's been terrible, et cetera. Um, and, but that next year that they would be competitive, and in 2024 they would be contending for something. And if that's true, by the way, and if it's still true, then I wouldn't trade them. I, I don't think okay, I'd trade them anyway. Here's the point. Here's the, here's the point. I would trade them. Uh, that, that premise was based on – Strasburg being normal and Corbin being normal. Right. Neither of those things have happened. Right. For this okay. year. So, I mean, yes. And for the foreseeable future, I think you have to assume. I don't think you can count on either of those guys. Well, you definitely uh, can't moving count forward. on Corbin. I mean, he's, the, he's one of the no. worst pitchers in baseball. He, he appears to be done. Yes. So, I mean, the premise that they were going to be competitive this year was based on a lot of things going right. Nelson Cruz hitting over 30 home runs like he did last year. 
Victor Robles bouncing back to the player that they thought he was uh, when he was their top prospect. Corbin and Strasburg pitching well. Their bullpen not being decimated by injuries. None of it, none of the, all the things that were supposed to go right, none of it's gone right uh, for them. So, and like I said, you can't plan for uh, moving forward with a starting rotation right now uh, other than J- J- Josiah Gray. And Kate Cavalli, really. hopefully. Well, yeah, I mean, among, among the major league pitchers right, right. now. Yeah, you've got, you've got you know, the minor league pitchers down there, Cole Henry and Cavalli. Could have Austin and, and both. And a few others. Who's doing really well in Baltimore? In Baltimore, <laughs> but he's not—he's he's not a—he's not a pitcher. He's not the kind of pitcher you want. But uh, you know what's interesting? Did you see the news that uh, the Atlanta Braves signed Austin Riley? Yeah. To a ten-year, two hundred twelve million dollar deal. Yeah, I did. And that basically means that I mean they have like at least three or four of their young prospects. Uh, Ronald Acuna under a long-term deal. Yeah. Uh, where else is it? Going uh, to be tough to win in that division. They've got, yeah, they've got uh, Ozzie Albies uh, under control to 2027. Matt Olson, the kid, the guy they traded for to replace Freddie Freeman, is under control till 2030. Uh, I might want to point out, none of these players are Scott Boris clients. That's a key. Mm. Okay. I was having a conversation in my Frederick Cigar Hangout, mm-hmm. Quartermasters, the other night. And all, trust Kevin, all anyone wants to ask me about is Juan Soto. That's number one topic of conversation when people, uh, you know, talk to not, me. Not, want to know not, what's West, not Wes Schweitzer or Trey Turner at right guard? No. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Right now, it is Juan Soto. Right. And I was explaining. How, you know, you've got to get these guys like a Soto or a Trey Turner. You've got to recognize much earlier that they're going to be this good and sign them far earlier in the process. Okay. Trey Turner, the baseball player, not the right guard for the Washington Commanders. Not the right guard. Yeah. No, I know. But, uh, But even then, my logic is flawed. Because it, it's it's Scott Forrest. If if you have figured out, like after Trey Turner's first year, that he's going to be great, well, Boris figured it out before you. Okay, and he knows that these contracts are very team friendly, not player friendly, and there's no way he's letting his clients sign any of these contracts that the Braves have signed. These Braves players have signed. So, I mean. They need to, you know, it's funny, because for years, Peter Angelos would not deal with Scott Boris. I mean, would just refuse to deal with him. And it hurt him in the long run, because they missed out on some good players. Right. But, uh, you know, they've had a marriage with Scott Boris uh, ever since Steven Strasburg, probably about 12 years. And I think it's time for a separation, if not a divorce. Well, um... You know, there's going to be a new ownership group. By when? By the end of this year? I don't by know. early like, next I year? To, look, Kevin, like I wrote a column about the ownership group about a month ago. You want to buy a box of paper clips from the learners? How long do you think that's going to take? Right. Okay. 
try buying a team from the learners. Yeah. I mean, there's no predicting how long it's going to take. Yeah, I just. But uh, I want. So, so I mean, yeah, go ahead. They, they, they. I mean, the, the thing is that the Braves are really set, and, and they, and, and they have found the formula that really is going to work in this day and age. If you're not, if you can't, if you don't have to deal with a Scott Boris, because Boris is going to take almost every single player to free agency. I mean, it's just even if. Even if the Nationals offered Soto a uh, five, you know, over fifty million a year for fifteen years, when he's a free agent, if he's a free agent two and a half years from now, he'll be able to make more. Yeah, and all, you know, yeah. so uh, yeah, all these offers so, I mean, too are it, just it, creating a floor for the, the Boris deal. Yes, um, for the next deal. Yes, they are. I mean, but that's I want, why people people said people, and they probably did. People criticized the team. Saying that they leaked the 440 number, it was advantageous for Boris to get that number yeah. out there as well. You point, you pointed that out. And by the way, I would just add that yeah. I think the leak um, of him passing on that deal is a good thing for the Nats. And I, I'm not saying that we didn't feel that way at the at the moment, but here on the day of the deadline, can you imagine if you if if none of us knew? Now, I'm not saying that in the last couple of days there wouldn't have been some smoke around, you know, uh, discussions involving Juan Soto. But can you imagine if we we couldn't – the fan base didn't have time to prepare for the, the losing of Juan Soto by this trade deadline. That would have been shocking and I don't think would have worked – uh, in the Nats' favor. So I think it is kind of beneficial that there's been a two-plus-week period of sitting on this and contemplating this. And and that leads me to to something that I wanted to, to, to say about last night. You know, Soto's, uh, first of all, great game last night he had against the Mets. He homered, he walked three times, he stole a base. I mean, he was, he was fantastic in the game last night if it was yeah. his last one. And he got this standing ovation after his last at-bat. And I... I thought it was strange, and apparently he said the same thing, that it was weird. And, I, and but, but from my perspective, it may be a different weird. I just sat there and I thought, you know, it's the same thing I said to you, and we debated this, I think, when it came to Bryce Harper, that Bryce Harper wants to play in a real sports town, a gritty sports town that really, you know, blanking cares um, not that Philadelphia is the greatest, okay, and, and playing in New York or playing in Boston or Chicago, whatever, but that there was, th- there's always been this sense that, look, it was great during the playoff games in, in various years. I, it was great during the World Series. I went to, you know, I went to Game 3. I think people at Game 3 were, were more there to be seen than to watch that particular game. I mean, the Baby Shark song got the, the biggest uh, ovation of that night um, in Game three which drove me nuts but beyond that I just thought last night it was like wow I mean everybody's just kind of tapping out on this it's like if Juan Soto were on the verge of being traded in Philly or New York or Boston there would be outrage at Mike Rizzo and at the learners, and there would have been major league, you know, kind of chants that were anti-management. And instead, there was just this kind of warm ovation, like, see, Juan, you were great. Thanks for the World Series. 
And I, 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 I've asked you this before in the last couple of weeks, but what does it say about this organization that, you know, two of the generational talents of the last, you know, few years are started their careers here and will end their careers somewhere else and maybe play the significant majority of their careers somewhere else. It just doesn't make the organization look very good. Oh, yeah, I know that. But there's, uh, you know, let's go back to the explanation for that. Scott Boris. Yeah, he but, wasn't going to have, he wasn't going to let Harper sign here either. Well, you know, Harper could I mean, have. It, it Harper was out of the t- Nationals' control at that point. You know, Harper is not, you know, uh, Harper doesn't work for Scott Boris. Scott Boris works for Bryce Harper. So I, I, under, I understand the I, I control and the, and the influence he has. But if he really wanted to be here, and the Nats really wanted him to be here, then maybe there's a better chance. By the way, on your example of trying to see this before the agents do, well, you were never going to do that with Harper or Strasburg, but you had a chance with Soto. Soto wasn't not, this. Not when it comes, again, not when it comes to Paris. Boris is smarter than them. Okay. He just is. Okay. Kevin, he's the best. He's got it figured out. Okay? This is why I, I jokingly said Major League Baseball should not just sell Boris a team. They should give him one. <laughs> like, give him the Pirates. Just say, here, Scott, we're giving you a baseball franchise. That way, he becomes one of you, and you don't have to deal with him anymore. And he'd probably run the Pirates a lot better than they've been run for the past two decades. You know what, though? Uh, I don't know Scott Boris, um, but a lot of guys like that are much better at being, you know, um, dust kicker uppers, um, uh, not, you know, in the, you know, as they're, as they're basically, uh, dealing with and, 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 and not in the, not in the game. I mean, he is in the game to a certain degree, but he's not in the game. He's not in the arena, you know? And I think guys, sometimes guys like that are just better where they are and they may not be successful. You might be right. And, 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 and owning a team and running a team. But, but I, you didn't, you didn't answer the question because you said, well, there are reasons for it. Forget the reasons why they didn't re-sign Bryce Harper or why they have to trade Juan Soto and the, and the reason being Scott Boris. What does it make the Nationals look like? It, it doesn't make them look good. It makes them look bad. Yeah. But inside baseball, in the industry of baseball, people know what's going on. In the stands, it, it looks bad at this point. Absolutely looks bad. Why don't they just trade him for, for uh, Otani straight up? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe the Angels are, are the Angels? dangling Otani out there. I, well, the so late, latest I've read is that he's not, for, he's not being traded. Because he and Rui Hachimura could make DC, you know, quite quite yes, the quite the sports capital for uh, for yes, that they island. Could. Godzilla and Rodan, yes, sir. Um, <laughs> I want to read this. Uh, so anyway, everybody. Oh, you know, there was one other thing, real quickly, um, on on all of this, um, and that is uh, just this. I'm asking you this, and and I didn't think about this over the last couple of days. But if they do trade Juan Soto and then you get new ownership in here, and let's just say the trade, you know, it'll take a while, more likely than not, for the trade to be sort of evaluated, you know, player for player. 
is this hurting Mike Rizzo at all? Is the fact that they don't have a good farm system right now and they haven't drafted well, like what what will the new owners think of Mike Rizzo? Well, you know, you bring up a good point. They haven't drafted well. Their farm system is not deep. Uh, they've been hit or miss with some of these prospects. And, and the ones that have been good, uh, they've traded, you know, to get players who help them win. Uh, so I think, I think his, his, his run from 2012 through 2019 as, you know, I think like one of the top uh, one or two most winningest franchises. Dodgers had the most wins. The, Nat, the Nats had the second most wins during yeah. that stretch. Yeah, so I think that gives him cover for any new owner. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's something that he's going to be called on uh, when, when the new owners came over that says, you know, what's happened to, to the farm system? Now they can say, uh, and, you know, this would be a legitimate argument. Well, I'll, we've been drafting low, you know. We've been down in in in, in the fifth in the draft because we've had winning records, you know. We have not had the top draft picks, and you know that doesn't mean that you still can't draft smart. The Cardinals, the Dodgers, have been a, a pretty much a perennial winner, yeah. But the Dodgers have so much money. I know, but, but they have right. a great farm system. The Dodgers too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So you can do both with a good farm system, but there's only maybe a couple of teams where that happens. Uh, but Rizzo will be called to account by that from the new owners, I would think. Is it enough to really damage him? I don't think so, uh, because he does have the cover. I think, I think if Mike Rizzo left the Nationals, he'd have a job tomorrow with another team. I think so, too. Do you um... – do you, you don't have to tell me, but do you have any insight – on who the leading candidates to be the new owners are? No. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm saying bet on the long shot. Bet bet on the, the dark horse that, that where that the only one is, is touting is me, and that's Larry Latina. Uh, this when all is said and done, I'd bet on Larry. This uh, again could be um, dated by the time everybody listens to it, but. Uh, we will certainly be back here tomorrow um, to talk about uh, whatever uh, the conclusion to this one Soto and trade deadline thing is. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. This review, Tommy, in a five-star rating from uh, Caleb, he writes, I started listening to Kevin on 980 way back when he was with Doc Walker and then with Tom Lavero and then Chris Cooley when I moved from Silver Spring to Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, I fell out of touch wow. with sports for a while. Then I heard Kevin started a new podcast, and I was instantly hooked. Uh, Kevin is the best, thank you. And I love the banter with, and then in capital letters, the great Tom Lavero. Keep it up, fellas. Caleb in Saigon. Man, we have listeners. I, I, I need to go check the Vietnam uh, football uh, rankings on Apple to see where we rank in Vietnam. We've been very highly rated yes. in Bermuda and Jordan. 
Um, but thank you uh, to uh, Caleb, and don't forget uh, to rate us and review us if you haven't done that. It's really helpful uh, for us. Um, Tommy had quite uh, the experience uh, over the weekend when he was at the beach or late last week, whenever that was. I have a new show that I'm going to recommend, and it's not one that Tom's recommended. Uh, and we've got some football to talk about uh, as well. We'll start to do all of those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as we discussed there in the opening segment, there was a chance as we were recording this podcast that news of a Juan Soto trade would come, and it has. John Morosi, uh, God, I was watching John last night on MLB Network, uh, and he kind of predicted either an outside team or the Cardinals, but he is reporting that the Padres and Nationals have agreed in principle on a Juan Soto trade with Josh Bell also going to the Padres uh, and the players that they're getting back, they're going to get C.J. Abrams, outfielder Robert Hassel the third, outfielder James Wood, right-handed pitcher Yarlan Susana for Soto and Bell. So they're getting four players, at least as of now, according uh, to John Morosi um, of the MLB Network. Uh, that's what the deal is going to be. So Juan Soto looks like, um, if the reporting is accurate, is going to be traded. There you go. Okay. C.J. Abrams uh, in, was drafted in 2019 by the Padres. He's a shortstop. It was the sixth overall pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was considered one of the top prospects in the MLB draft in 2019. So, I mean, that was the sixth pick in the draft. Uh, I'll try to run down these, some of these he's hit, guys. He's, hit, he's hitting two thirty-two. He's got two homers and 11 RBIs. Um, this year, right. and his first 21. year up in the bigs, he's just 21 years old. It's going to be 22 in October, um, and so that appears to be uh, at this point. I mean, well, let's go through them one by one. Hold on for one second. By the way, Mark Zuckerman now nothing official yet, but multiple people in the know are saying saying that a trade will be finalized in the next hour or two. So um, it does look like this thing. Uh, is is going okay. down right now. His Twitter, of course, right in front now, is, now, is blowing up all over the place. Yeah, what? Robert Hassel, one of the other players they got, was selected eighth overall by the Padres in the 2020 draft. So these are two top ten picks right away. 
that they, they've gotten so far uh, for Soto. He's an outfielder. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see here. We're doing this like we would do our radio show. Um, yeah. Susanna is 18, 6, 7, 250 pounds, um, and has right now uh, 44 strikeouts in 28, it looks like, innings pitched in rookie ball. Um, How old? Hassel is only 20 years old, too. So uh, they got a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old, two top 10 picks in, in, in the draft when they were drafted so mm-hmm. far. Again, these are pro- you know nobody knows if these are going to wind up being players or not, but the cha- but they certainly are getting at least these two top prospects. Let's see how the rest of it pans out. Uh, Jesse uh, J- Jesse Doherty, who covers the Nats uh, for the Post, um, is now confirming Morosi's report that multiple minor leaguers are on the move. Oh, okay, are on the move to Washington, which is a signal that a trade is very much in the works. I'm not sure how many or uh, who quite yet. We'll keep you posted as we gather information. So there we go. I mean, Soto's being dealt to the Padres, um, and he's being traded. For C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, right-handed pick- pitcher Yarlin Susana, who's a big dude apparently, um, for Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Uh, so he's gone. Um, and everything that uh, happened <laughs> two and a half years ago, because that's all it was, people. Uh, it's coming up on three years. Um, it's gone. It's over. I mean, they're they're all gone, Tommy. All of them. Nobody's left from one of the most exciting sports seasons in DC history, and it seemed like, like sort of a, a a run was in store. They were already a really good team, and I didn't expect it to end quite that uh, quickly. I didn't think that Game Seven in Houston in October of 2019 would be the last hurrah for the Washington Nationals, but it appears as if well, you, uh, that's the case. Yes. I mean, you could even point to the the uh, time when Kyle Schwarber pulled his hamstring, right? And then Steven Strasburg went on the DL a week later. The Nats were two games out of first place when that happened. Yeah, in 2020, uh, when that happened, the other one of the other players they got James Woods. Uh, he's an outfielder. He was picked in the second round of the 2021 draft. He's 19. Uh, I think he's from Rockville. Uh, he comes. From, his father was a professional basketball player in Europe. His sister is the captain on the Northwestern University women's basketball team. He's six. He's six seven two forty. Uh, James Wood, an outfielder, nineteen year old outfielder. Uh, he went to the IMG Academy, Barry. and he was born in Rockville, Maryland. Barry's Verluga, um, Nationals are trading soda to the Padres. Heyman was the first on this, apparently, according to Barry. C.J. Abrams, Hassel, Wood, Susana, Soto, Bell. Uh, but they're also going to get lefty Mackenzie Gore. Um, that is uh, another player that apparently they're going to get. Mackenzie Moore, a pitcher. This is like old okay. times. This is like olden times. 
Like, I should completely <laughs> scratch everything we've done, and then we just start we record the podcast all over again. But why? Why, why do we don't, we don't have to do that? By, by the way, Tommy's not available to do that because I did suggest it to him, uh, but he has plans today. Mackenzie Gore, uh, Gore, by the way, is a 6'2", 197-pound uh, left-handed pitcher born on my birthday, February 24th. Uh, he is a Pisces, Tommy, just if you were wondering. Um, in 13 games this year as a 23-year-old for the Padres, uh, he is uh, in, in 13 starts. He's 4-4 four and four, um, with uh, – where is his ERA at this point? I don't see his ERA. That should have popped up pretty quickly, um, but it didn't. Uh, but anyway, um, they have uh, – they have another pitcher that's being thrown into the deal. I, I'm, I'm going to let people that really understand these prospects evaluate um, the trade uh, and what they got back. But to your point, I think that they, you know, he didn't have to do this unless they got a shitload back. Uh, Mackenzie Gore's uh, ERA is four five zero, by the way, uh, four five zero. So um, there you go. What else on this? Uh, I'm trying to see the kid that the Nationals just drafted, uh, Elijah Green. Okay, he's like about what? About six four. He's a big dude. Yeah, two twenty. Yeah, he's and this kid that they just got, James Woods, is six seven two forty. These are two. Well, Susana's six seven as a pitcher. As a pitcher, so they're going for the basketball team again. Maybe. There was a time in the in, in, there was a time around 2005 2006 where it seemed like everybody in on on the pitching staff was 6-5 or taller. James Wood yeah. like you said born in Rockville Maryland um went to the IMG Academy down in Florida. Uh man is that an academy. So did Elijah Green. Yeah. Elijah Green came out of the uh academy so I bet these two guys know each other. You could be looking at the, the Nationals outfield within a year or two. Are any of these guys Boris clients? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. All right. Uh, there we go. We've got the trade. We'll continue to update on this. Um, and you can listen to how we uh, took it in as we were taking it in, because that's what we're doing right now. Even though what we should do is scratch this and start from the beginning. <laughs> but we can't, uh, because Tommy's not no, available No, we can't do that. Um, tell, me, tell everybody about two experiences that you had uh, here recently when you were on vacation? Well, uh, you know, I was in Wildwood for our, our weekly, our annual beach week, family beach week. You know, we about five different families, rent five places, all close by. We all get together. And one night, and my son brought this virtual reality game called Oculus. Uh, have you ever played this or done it? I mean, I, I've not, have I ever done like a virtual reality game? No. I I, I know what the re- result of this was, and I'm going to let you describe it, but the same experience that you had, I actually don't want that experience. But, but please continue. Okay. And everybody did it, you know, but me. I wasn't particularly interested in doing it. I mean, even my 12-year-old granddaughter did it and was okay. Uh, and then it was my turn. 
And uh, the thing they wanted me to pick was elevator, where you get into an elevator. So I've got these glasses on, and I'm watching, I'm watching you know, this scene take place uh, virtually, these real big, thick glasses of visor, I guess you'd say. And I step into an elevator, and the elevator goes up a mm-hmm. hundred floors mm-hmm. quickly, mm-hmm. and then it opens. The door opens, yeah, and you're right there. Okay, you are you are standing on the edge of the Empire State Building. Uh-huh. Okay, and they, they want you to walk a little thick, skinny plank out there as part of this game. <laughs> and the minute the doors opened, yeah. and I looked down, yeah. I said, no, 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 take this thing off me. I felt like I was on top of the, of the Empire State Building with like with my toes hanging over the edge, about to fall. The, the feeling of, of falling, of, of fear of falling was unbelievable. I begged them. I said, "Take it off, or I'm going to rip it off." <laughs> yeah, I know. You, this whole scene that played out was was recorded by somebody. It wasn't. Was it your son, or was that was your son was in the video with you? So somebody else yeah, was taking was somebody, the video. And somebody else Tommy, is, is Tommy taking the video. Freaked and out their like heads a, off. I mean, he freaked out like a little girl. I mean, he was screaming like a child to, for the thing to be taken off his head. And so what did you think was going to happen? You were going to actually walk the plank and fall 100 stories to your death? You know, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking. All I felt, and this is a relatively new thing for me, because mm-hmm. I don't remember a fear of heights when I was younger. But I've noticed I have it more as I've gotten older. And I didn't think it was a real fear of heights. It's just I get queasy if I'm real high and, like, that wouldn't have affected me Queasy before. how? You get and nauseous? This, you get dizzy? Or you get both. fearful? All, all three. All of the above. And it was, it, was, it, was on, it was on red alert when those elevator doors opened, and I, I looked down, and I thought, oh, my God, this feeling in my stomach. I'm not, I don't want this. This isn't fun. You're fam- I'm not doing this. This isn't... Your family got a kick out of it. Them. Your family got a yeah. kick out of it. They were <laughs> laughing at you. I, uh, you know, uh, so you know when um, you'll get this warning in a movie or on television that you know the flashing lights. If you suffer from epilepsy, you know that it could you know throw you into an epileptic yes. fit. You know, it, I, I don't have that. I don't have that. But what I do have is I do get motion sickness, and it, 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 and like I. I'm not a big boat guy. It's so funny. We were having this conversation last week with my boys, and um, I'm just I, I I go on boats. I don't mind going on boats, but the boats have to be moving, or they've got to be really big boats where you can't feel the rocking back and forth. Or I get I get seasick. I I I, I, I get motion sickness. By the way, do you know that if you suffer from motion sickness? That, the, that there's a primary reason for this. This is what I was told many years ago. And it could have been just to make me feel better about the fact that I got motion sickness. But the truth is, is that I actually do have this. Um, people will say that if you have excellent peripheral vision, you're more prone 
to seasickness. Like, I can't read in a moving car. I can't read on a plane when the plane's on the ground moving because there are objects that are passing, which creates that feeling, and I'll get sick very quickly. I mean, I've known this forever, but once the plane's up in the air, I can read. It's not a problem because there are no visual distractions. You can't even tell that you're actually moving. Um, so if you, if you get that sense, I've been told this, I don't think I've ever looked this up, but I've been told that it means you have good peripheral vision and I do have, and, or I used to have good peripheral, peripheral vision. Now, the other thing you said about heights, I never was afraid of heights. Never. Now, Tommy, I swear to you, there have been a couple of moments where I've been on, you know, driving over a super tall bridge. Like I went over the Bay Bridge last weekend. Didn't really bother me, but there's this anxiety associated with it. It's not overwhelming. It would never force me to, you know, park my car and and use a drive over service to get to the other side. But I've also been in tall buildings on a deck looking from, you know, 15, 17, 25 stories high. I don't like it. I used to love it. I can't stand it now. I used to love rides. That's me. I mean, look, I I, I don't have motion sickness. I mean, I can. You don't have good peripheral vision. Cars or anything (laughs) like that. But but actually, but when it comes to the the height thing, this is something new. Like you, yeah, something new for me. Uh, I mean, I, I I I don't recall having it before, and this was as scary a moment virtually as I could think of. I mean, I felt I, the, 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 the pit of my stomach was, was dancing the cha-cha-cha, baby, and I, I needed to get out of there. Um, real quickly, updating as we're doing live, a live radio show today, um, there are reports that uh, Eric Hosmer is part of the deal as well. Um, now, he is represented by Scott Boris. Uh, Scott Boris also reps... Um, we know Soto and Bell, but also reps James Wood and Mackenzie Gore in terms of the players involved in this deal. But Hosmer has a no-trade provision um, and must give his blessing for this trade to be consummated, but the reporting is now that Hosmer is likely a part of this deal as well. So that's that's a name that everybody Knows everybody knows yeah. Hosmer from you know certainly his days in Kansas City um, as they were uh, you know uh, competing for championships there for a brief period. It's almost like they did what the Nats did. They were real rel- relevant for a couple of years and then boom, uh, right back to the bottom. Um, but uh, yeah, he was the uh, he was the MVP of the uh, All Star Game in 2016. No, I'm just trying to Absolutely. see what he's been doing this year. So. Hosmer this year. Uh, He's got eight home runs. Yeah, 40 RBIs. 72 and, yeah. and 335 at back. Exactly. There you go. In 90 games. Um, so we'll keep you posted on all this. So I, um, there was something else that you wanted to tell me about. Tell me about the restaurant that you went to. Tell everybody about no, the restaurant. No, it wasn't a restaurant. Yeah. 
Oh no no no, uh, no no no! That, that's right. It's a family outing. I'm sorry. The restaurant. The restaurant yeah. comes from Donnie Brasco, which you will hear here momentarily. But tell everybody. Yeah, the the uh, the um, we went to a family party on Sunday. The day after we got back from the beach, I drove back up to Philly for a family party, and uh, it was indoors and outdoors. Uh, and I guess when it time came time to go indoors. Uh, all of a sudden, I noticed that there's a whole bunch of shoes lined up outside the, uh, the screen door. And I said to my wife, what's this? And she said, oh, they want you to take your shoes off. And I knew she was enjoying this moment because she, that's what she would like to do here where I live now. Uh-huh. And that's never, that's never going to happen. Right. That is an absolute never going to happen situation. So I'm sure it triggered something in both of us. And what it triggered in me was, oh, well, you know, I'm not taking my shoes off. Of course not. Then I'm not going in, you know. So uh, I sat there. I sat outside for the whole three hours of the party. The, the problem was the bathroom was inside. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. Uh-huh. So that required a little uh, resolve on my part to, to, to conduct this silent protest. Uh, did they did. know that the silent protest was going on? No, they didn't know it. My wife knew it, and I knew it. But no, the, how many did anybody it. participate in this with you? Not refusing to take off no. their shoes and go in the house. No, I mean, I, I, I was the lone one. Did you say and hello sure to your host? To did, did you say to hello to your hosts, or did they never see you? Yes. Oh. No, I spoke to them. They were outside and inside, outside and inside. Mm-hmm. I was just outside, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure my my reaction was in part because I've had this discussion here at home with my wife. And I said, no. I said, I'm not taking the shoes off, of my shoes off in a house that I pay for. That's not going to happen. So I, I, I mean, I, I th- I've had people say when you walk in, you know, especially like if it's a new house or new floors or something, do you mind taking your shoes off? You know, I I think that's happened. It's been a long time since that's happened. And I'm sure that I was irritated, but I didn't, you know, protest probably at that point. By the way, you know, in the summertime, with shoes on, and especially if you're not wearing socks, with which in the summertime a lot of people aren't wearing socks, that's actually kind of gross, to be honest with you, to be walking around in bare yeah. feet. And why would you want them walking around in bare feet in your house anyway? Did, w- w- what was the reason? I mean, this was not a Japanese restaurant where, where you're required to take your shoes off, no, like in no. Donnie Brasco no, in that famous scene, where Donnie <laughs> certainly doesn't want to take his shoes off. Take off shoes. Are you kidding me? Take off your pants. What's that? I'm afraid it's necessary. It's a Japanese tradition. Is that right? Well, forget about it. I ain't doing it. I'm afraid it's necessary. Forget it. I ain't taking my fucking shoes off. Hey, Donnie. What? When in Rome. Hey, Nick. Who won the fucking war? Huh? Um, uh, and, 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 and... I don't know what... Yeah. I don't know what the reason was. And again, I didn't inquire... I didn't push. I didn't want to make a scene because this was a young couple with their celebrating mm. the, the one-year uh, birthday of, of their child. Mm. Uh, it, this was a nephew. 
And uh, I just said to myself, well, I'll just, I'm not taking my shoes off. Did you bitch to Liz about this? Like when she walked out to check on how you were doing, like was the food outside? Was the, were you able to uh, consume beverages and eat food? No, no, food was outside. Okay, good. Yeah, that was okay. And that, that worked out okay. Did or you... else I would have sent, I would have sent my 12 year old granddaughter back in the house to get my booze. Right. Me. You know, if that would have been the case. So, no, but no, the, the, the liquor was outside and the food. Wow. Um, but again, uh, you know, if, if you if you had to, uh, uh, if nature called, you had to take your shoes off and go inside. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, so I won my little battle as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to tell you real quickly, and I'm not going to spend much time on this because there's other things and there's other news breaking here today too. Uh, something in the NFL, which we'll get to here in a moment. But I just wanted to tell you that. This is another show that you would have no interest in um, because it's it's got a sci-fi uh, nature to it. Um, and I know that this has been a very, very popular show for several years now. It is now, I think, um, past The Office as the most successful ne- Netflix show of all time. But I watched season one in a binge session on Saturday night into early Sunday morning of Stranger Things. You're familiar with the show or not? Uh, I'm kind of familiar with it. Okay. Well, it's it's now the most watched show ever in the history of Netflix. And my wife uh, watched it, and there have been multiple times over the last several months where I've walked into you know the bedroom, and she was watching it, and she's like, you've got to watch this. And I... And, and I'm watching it, and there's, like, monsters, and there's different things. I'm like, no, I, have, I, I would have no interest in this at all. But for whatever reason, she convinced me to just watch the first episode of season one and then take it from there. Well, eight hours later, I came up for air, and I was... Uh, and I can't wait to get to season two. I didn't have time to do it yesterday. I'm hopeful of, of having time to do it here in the next few days. But it is so, so well done. And I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you because I, I understand that that is, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not something that I've ever been able to do with you on, on, on television shows. That's fine. You've given some shows, but you're never going to give a sci-fi show a chance. But like I said about Game of Thrones, that Game of Thrones was very light on the fantasy and the dragons and very heavy, extremely heavy on just characters, which is why I love the show and why most people love the show. Cause I don't love fantasy. I don't love sci-fi. I don't like, I don't like horror movie movies or horror shows, to be honest with you. Um, and, but the, the reason game of Thrones is the greatest show or certainly one of the two or three greatest shows of all time is not because of fire breathing dragons, but because the characters and their relationships and storylines are so, um, incredibly well done. Well, that's the same thing with stranger things, although it is heavier on the science fiction than Game of Thrones is on the fantasy. There, there are monsters, and there is a lot of uh, kind of parallel universe kind of stuff going on, but the characters are so good. Winona Ryder's excellent. This dude, David Harbour, for those of you that have watched it, who play, he plays Hopper. He's by far and away my favorite character in this show. He is excellent. Do you know who he is, Tommy? He was in uh, Black Mass. He was in Black the, uh, Mass with Johnny yes. Depp. He was in Black Mass uh, with Johnny. about uh, yes. Whitey Bulger. About Whitey Bulger. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, yes. He's excellent in this. He's my favorite character by far um, in this. And there are more stars. When I say stars, I shouldn't say stars. There are more recognizable names coming, I know that, in the next uh, you know season or two. There are four of these seasons. And the fourth season, which just came out in July, is, um, you know, got a shitload of attention. And apparently it's a phenomenal Kevin, show. I got yeah. a question for you. Yes. Did, did Papa say you could watch it? Ah, very good. Very good. Um, I've been watching Stranger Things since 2016, buddy. What? <laughs> yes. I've been watching this show since the first season. I have, love it. Have you told me about I it? I can't wait till. No. I don't think I have. I don't think no. you have either. Why did you just let me go through all of that without immediately saying, what are you talking about? I've watched it. <laughs> I don't know. Why have you never recommended this show? Why have you never recommended this to me? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't think you'd like it. Why? But uh, I don't know. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Well, I'm shocked and that you love it. it's not the same as Game of Thrones. Because you're, you're right. It's science fiction. It's not fantasy. Yeah, it's science fiction. But whenever you have monsters in a movie, there there's a bit of fantasy and, oh, no, no. and horror wrapped into it. No, no, no. It. Don't talk to me about... <laughs> oh, do yeah. not talk okay. to me about monsters. Because monsters are Because they're real and dragons different. aren't. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm convinced I'm going to look out on the ocean one day and see Godzilla pop up yeah. before I die. Well, maybe you ought to put that virtual reality mask uh, back on uh, and, and, <laughs> and see if you can go um, where, uh, you, you know, where, where Hopper and, um, and Joyce went uh, there at the end. You know, I, I don't Will think back. they got this part on tape. What? Because, because, but I kept asking my son, where's the sex button? I want to do the sex button. Where's that part? <laughs> Where's the hot chick? Can I do that yes. game instead? Yes. Um, this is fascinating to me. I, I, you, that I watched. Oh, I love it. Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, you, I, I can't strange, believe we're probably going to have to wait about two or three things. years. Oh, yeah. Stranger so you're two or three years for season five. Are you all caught up? Oh, God, yes. I don't understand this. What, what am I missing? Why haven't you suggested this to me? There, there are several shows that you've suggested to me here recently. Are we forgetting, and maybe you did mention it at some point, and I just ignored you? If I, maybe I did. If I did, it would have been early. It would have been four or five years ago if I did. Yeah, but this the fourth season just came out in July, and everybody was going nuts I know, over but it. it started. it started in 2016. Uh, they came... As the show goes on, they take longer and longer in between. I eight. know that, but you must have binged it last month when the fourth season came out. Yes. Well, uh, how is it that you never brought it up? It never seemed like a topic of conversation for you. What's wrong with you? Are you hurt? No. Are I, you hurt? I, I just, you, you really confuse me a, a, a lot. I mean, you'll tell me about these certain shows. I told you, and I've been telling you to watch Game of Thrones for years, and here you've been watching Stranger Things telling me that you would never watch a show like Game of Thrones. And and it's not the same kind of show. You're right, it isn't. It's nowhere as good. Um, at least not yet. 
But yes, there's a, there's an element of similarity. This is science fiction. This is monsters. These are made up things. And you apparently resist anything that has that kind of fantasy in it. And yet you've been watching Stranger Things. By the way, it's really good. Do you agree with me on David Harbour as as Hopper? Yeah. Does he continue to be a great character in this? Yes, absolutely. I also think but you don't that, want to know anymore. No, I don't. I, I also think the kid without the teeth is an outstanding character. He's hysterically funny. Yeah. But I don't want to tell you what happens. <laughs> Thank you, Papa. You don't really want to know what happens. Thank you, Papa. You know? Oh, boy. Um, all right, let's finish up with uh, Bill Russell and some breaking NFL news right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Go to MyBookie for all of your sports betting needs. They also have a great online casino. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. There's some breaking NFL news. Um, the Dolphins have been stripped of their 2023 first-round pick and their 2024 third-round pick 
for violating the integrity of the game. Additionally, Dolphins owner Stephen Ross also has been suspended through October 17th and fined $1.5 million. This has nothing to do with tanking games or Brian Flores. This is what it has to do with. The NFL ruled that the Dolphins had impermissible communications with Tom Brady in 2019 and 2020 while he was under contract to the New England Patriots. Those communications began as early as August 2019 and continued throughout the 2019 season and postseason. The NFL also said that um, uh, the discussions happened with Brady and his agent during and after the 2021 season while he was under contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And those discussions focused on Brady becoming a limited partner in the Dolphins. Also, in January of 2022, okay, January of this year, the Dolphins had impermissible communications with Don Yee, the agent for Saints head coach Sean Payton, about having Payton serve as Miami's head coach. Miami did not seek consent from New Orleans to have these discussions. The discussions with Peyton occurred before Peyton announced his decision to retire as head coach of the Saints. Following that announcement, Miami then requested permission to speak to Peyton for the first time, which New Orleans declined to grant. Um, Dolphins vice chairman and limited partner Bruce Beal uh, was fined $500,000 and ordered not to attend any league meetings for the remainder of the 22 season. Goodell's statement, quote, investigators found tampering violations of unprecedented scope and severity. I know of no prior instance of a team violating the prohibition uh, of tampering with both a head coach and a star player to the potential detriment of other clubs over a period of several years. Boy, I mean, that statement... Um, and I don't even know if it matches. I mean, here's day two of me saying, I don't even know if it matches the actual punishment, a first round pick and a third round pick and a suspension and a fine of a million and a half bucks. I know that that seems like a lot, but you know, if, if truly Goodell thinks that this was unprecedented in severity, that it's, it's unprecedented in the violate in the violating of, of the tampering rule. I mean, it seems like, you know couple of first-round picks and maybe, you know, more money. So. A million and a half is nothing. Yeah. And what does the suspension to an yeah. owner mean anyway? I know. I know. You know, but this is, this is, this is part of the problem that is, is coming back to haunt them with the Deshaun Watson situation is their lack of discipline, uh, of strict discipline among the owners you know, it, it has contributed to the the uh, judge's decision on what seemingly is, you know, a six-month, really kind of a light uh, suspension for Deshaun Watson. It's just not going to come down on the owners, you know, because, I mean, they are the owners. Well, you know, I mean, Cadell works for the owners. Well, it's a hell of a lot more than I mean. They they find Snyder, and they really didn't find Snyder. They find the team, and they really didn't find the team because the team just made a charitable do- uh, donation of ten million. They just moved their charity do- donations around and sent ten, 10 million 
um, dollars to it, uh, the charities that uh, the NFL wanted him to send it to. Um, a million and a half of a specific owner in a you know a punishment uh, a suspension um, is is very light to me and is you yeah. know is a is a is a hand is a, is a wrist slap taking away the team's first round pick next year is a big deal. I'm not minimizing that, but the statement seems to uh, imp, you know describe a situation that was incredibly severe um, and. Uh, I don't know. It seems like maybe multiple first round picks. That's the way you get back at a team, by the way. You know, you, you get back at a team by by hurting them competitively. If if they're going to break the rules, you got to hurt the team competitively, um, not just find the owner an amount that the the owner can you know write the check you know quickly and without feeling or, it. Or as we're familiar with, buying them eighteen million dollars in salary cap penalties a year. Yeah, well, there's that too, but that's that's hurting them competitively. Thirty-six million dollars was the salary yeah. cap penalty um, back yeah. then. You know, speaking over of over two years. Yeah, speaking of Deshaun Watson, and I talked a little bit about uh, about this on the show yesterday. I just, you know, in reading all of the comments that came out from Sue L. Robinson, the you know disciplinary um, uh, czar now for the NFL, I, to me, and I suggested this yesterday. There's just kind of a disconnect with her descriptions of Deshaun Watson's activity and the punishment. Um, she, you know, yeah. she, she says that this was essentially proven, uh, sexual assault was proven, and that his behavior was egregious and predatory. But she also said that the discipline was um, based on nonviolent conduct. And I think, you know, there is with sexual assault, there's a nonviolent, there's a violent, you know, um, distinction and you know she also banned him from you know ever getting a massage outside the club approved massage therapists she knows what a predator he was there um, and how many lives he impacted and 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 by the way how many civil suits he's paid off etc um, and she said as much and and yet it's six games I still think that the NFL will appeal this. They wanted a year. So they wanted a year. I think they will, too. We'll see what happens. I've, I've been I reading think, from some people yeah. that believe that it's not going to happen because, Tommy, this is her first case. And this was, you know, collectively bargained to have somebody other than Roger Goodell be the judge, jury, and executioner. And to immediately, you know, and this is a tough first case. I mean, obviously, yeah. the case of Deshaun Watson. But to immediately appeal the first decision... You know, I, I was listening to some people last night who suggested that maybe the league, because it's her first decision, may back off. I don't know that they can afford to. Uh, I think, I don't think they. I think they have a bigger issue than uh, than how it would look to uh, appeal the first ruling by her. They've got bigger issues to deal with. I think they're going to appeal it. Yeah, um, Bill Russell. Uh, I had Jimmy P, uh, Jimmy Patsos, on the show yesterday. He was great. If you missed that, go back and listen to to Jimmy Patsos, who grew up in Boston and was a Celtics fan. Talk about Bill Russell. Um, go ahead. Well, I, I saw Bill Russell play at the end of his career. Uh, in fact, his last season, uh, I, I saw him play. Uh, but uh, many years ago, when he wrote two biographies. The second one was called Second Wind, and that came out in 1979. 
And that had a big impact on me, reading that, uh, you know, the, the things that he went through uh, and uh, the things that, that shaped his life. And it's interesting because, like, there's a passage in there where he talks about his college team, the University of San Francisco, that won two national championships his junior and senior year. And uh, he talks about how he learned there that uh, it's not the individual that wins the championships, it's the team. Uh, And that stuck with him for years, he said, because his sophomore year, he said, they went 14-7 and and didn't do very well, even though they had tremendous talent. Uh, and but they didn't get along. They didn't play well together as a group. And that season haunted him for years. Like so, so this guy who won eleven NBA titles and two national championships and, and an Olympic gold medal, the season that affected him the most mm-hmm. is the one where he lost as a sophomore. I mean, that, to me, that illustrates what kind of a winner this guy was. I mean, he took that season as a lesson that says, well, you know, if my team isn't good, it doesn't matter how good I am. We have to play together as a team. And that was what dictated his play for, for the rest of his basketball career, what happened his sophomore year at San Francisco. So I thought that was interesting. And there's one or two stories <laughs> One of them that really uh, struck me was uh, he recounted the first time his grandfather came to see him play in the NBA. His grandfather was in the Celtics locker room after the game, and Russell, you know, he saw him crying. His grandfather had seen John Havlicek and Sam Jones in the shower. Uh, this is a quote from his grandfather. I never thought I'd live to see the day when water would run off a white man onto a black man and the water would run off a black man onto a white man. I've been to church all my days, but I never thought I'd see anything like this. And that stuck with Russell, too. He never forgot his grandfather's reaction uh, to seeing something like that in the locker room. He was uh, a a civil rights advocate, uh, was very bold, and, and courageous in his pronouncements and fights for civil rights. And uh, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But when you're really good, when you're among the best ever, you can make up your own rules. And he pretty much did. It's. I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. So when the news came down Sunday, I actually just I, I read – I mean, you've told me a lot about Russell. People, my father's told me. My father was a Wilt guy more than he was a Russell guy. My father still, I think, believes Wilt's the greatest player that's ever lived. Um, And in our conversations... And I do as well. Yeah, and in our conversations over the years, you and I have, you know, had these conversations about, you know, these players and, you know, the debates about, well, you know, there are a few teams, but that meant that every team was stacked. And, you know, the, the, it's, it's, look, the bottom line is, even though we have these conversations all the time, it's really hard to compare eras. What I didn't know as I did a bit of a deep dive on Russell the other night, um, 
I didn't realize the athlete he was. I know that that may seem silly to you because I'm a massive basketball fan and a massive NBA fan and and remember a lot of the all-time great players. I was I did not watch Russell play. I do not remember um, Russell uh, at all. I remember Russell as Brent Musburger's sidekick with Rick Barry on CBS, you know, calling games in in the in the in the, in the mid to late 70s. Um, but I I, I know, you know, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think. I went to this basketball camp, Tommy, every summer of my you know, life from like six years old, seven years old until I was like 14. It was the Metropolitan Basketball School. I've told you about it before. It was the best day basketball camp on the Eastern Seaboard. Kids came from all over. It was Morgan Wooten and the St. John's coach, Joe Gallagher's camp. And it was... It was, you know, highly competitive. It was so much fun. They had the best of the best in terms of guest speakers. And Red Auerbach was a given every summer in every single session to come in and talk to the campers. And the one thing that always stuck out about Red Auerbach coming back every year is he basically told you know, the same stories about Bill Russell every year. Like most of his discussion was about Bill Russell and about, you know, when you blocked a shot, Russell didn't block a shot to block a shot. He blocked a shot to take possession of the basketball for his team, you know? And that was one of the things about Russell that I always remember as a kid. Bill Russell would block shots, but he would block them to a teammate or he'd block them to himself. He would never swat it out of bounds. Anyway, in watching a bunch of highlights and then reading a little bit more about him, and, and by the way, Coach Thompson, and I mentioned this yesterday, how many times in the bullpen you know, w- would we hear him tell stories about Bill Russell? And I remember the times Absolutely. that B- Bill Russell was on the show with him. I mean, it was must-listen-to radio. But I didn't realize the athlete he was. He was a high jump and a long jump guy in college and in high school. And the, the the thing about him that when you like there was there was a lot more film and video that I was watching the other night than I think I ever have. I mean, he was a great passer. He could handle the ball and lead the fast break after blocking a shot or grabbing a rebound. But what really struck me is just how incredibly athletic he was. And he was long-armed and then also had the quick, big-time leaping ability. He was a long jumper. There are are highlights of him leading a fast break and taking off almost from the free-throw line and scoring on a layup or making a really good pass to somebody who's wide open. He really looks like a guy. Now, now Patso said the problem with Russell today is that 6'9", he would have been forced, 6'9 and a half, 6'10", whatever, would have probably been forced to play power forward, even though there are centers his size, and he would have never been you know, a, a guy that could stretch a defense in today's game, and that would have impacted him. But I, I don't know. I, I saw an athlete that – much different than that 62 championship game that I talked about uh, when uh, months ago when I saw a guy in Jerry West who literally could not dribble with his left hand. And I'm not sure he would have started for this year's DeMatha team. Russell, Russell was much different. My God, what an athlete he was. I mean, when you've talked about Russell over the years, it's the winning, and there's no debate as to who the greatest team sport winner is of all time. It's Bill Russell. But... You know, where have you, you've had Wilt ahead of him, and Wilt's a you know was an incredible athlete too, obviously, and and bigger and taller. Yeah. Um, 
but my God, where where does Russell rank for you on the all time center list? Just the center list. Is he two for you behind? Well, Wilt? He, he he's he's two for me. It's it's Wilt and Russell, and then we can start the conversations about everybody else. So you can then start with Kareem, et cetera, after that. Kareem Shaq, Elijah right. one after that. What yes. did, did you know what a prolific all-around athlete he was? I'm assuming you did. I mean, he he yeah, was I a did. high jumper like and a Wilt. long jumper for 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 the University of San Francisco. Yeah, Wilt was uh, a track uh, athlete as well, a good track star as well. Actually, through the shot put, in addition to being a high jumper uh, as well. But yeah, I was familiar. I was familiar with that. Uh, you know. Uh, What's interesting? What? What? I. I mean, one thing I. 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 I read through. Like I said, I reread quickly. Second Wind, and I recommend it to anybody. His biography, co-authored by Taylor Branch, uh, the guy who co-authored the, the, the King, who wrote the King trilogy that won the Pulitzer Prize, uh, and uh, um, you know, Russell named five uh, players he played against. We respected the most Wilt, Oscar, Jerry West, Baylor, and Willis Reed. I think you get him <laughs> in somehow. Um, Willis Reed. He, he had high praise for Willis Reed. Yeah, I. I uh, by the way, I would recommend uh, for anybody to read. Um, the column that his daughter Karen Russell wrote in the New York Times like 40 some years ago about her father. Um, it's what he went through uh, as a star black athlete in Boston. It was horrific at times. And yet, as, as Jimmy said yesterday, Russell still stayed and still tried to make it work. Um, and, um, but it was quite the uh, open uh, letter that she writ- wrote. Uh, it was, I think, it was back in 19- in the late nineteen eighties. Um, I read. Well, that. let me point out yeah. that. Uh, I mean, w- what else was Russell going to do? I mean, there was no competition for the NBA, and as soon as he got done playing, he 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 fled Boston and moved as far away as he could. He moved to Seattle. So. Well, and he was in Sacramento for a while too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. He. 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 As soon as he could get out of Boston, he was gone. Um. As far as the football team that we haven't mentioned once during the show today, uh, <laughs> which is highly unusual, clearly for us. Um, practice is over uh, for the day. Uh, Tanya Snyder was out there today at practice. Um, apparently. Um, James Smith Williams, who is Chase Young's heir apparent, you know, when the season starts, uh, he'll, he'll be stepping in, into that starting role more likely than not. Uh, he's got a hip injury the team's evaluating, so he missed practice today. Um, and that was really the, the biggest news from practice today. No, no big, uh, news like yesterday with Curtis Samuel. Um, looks like he's headed towards another uh, uh, training camp similar to the one last year. All right. Uh, lastly, it, it, I, I can't tell if Hosmer's actually been included in this deal or not. There was some reporting that he was, um, but apparently it's not official yet. 
Um, they're talking about another big leaguer involved in the deal, and it's Hosmer, but he, I guess he's got to okay the deal because he's got a no-trade de- uh, deal. Uh, Soto's been told that he's um, – hold on. The Nationals are on Eric Hosmer's no-trade list, according to a person with knowledge of the situation. So if he's in the agreed-upon deal, he'd have to approve going to Washington. So he's got a no-trade list, and Washington was on it. Okay. Um, so Hosmer apparently could be, at least for now, a little bit of a holdup. He's got to approve being traded and being made part of uh, the deal. Um, but basically what the Nats got overall – is they got a, this guy Abrams, who's a 21-year-old shortstop with big league experience. They got this guy Hassel, who was a first-round pick in 20, uh, can play all three outfield positions. They got Wood, who's another big dude who's 19 and was the second-round pick in 21. They got this big pitcher who's 18 years old, and they got another pitcher who's up in the bigs right now who's 23, Gore, who was the third pick in the 17 draft, and I guess they're just waiting now on whether or not Hosmer's also going to be a part of the deal. So there it is. We're Eric Ho- Eric Hosmer, a Scott Boris client. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Weird show today. Uh, but I'm glad we got it in. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Maybe Tommy will be with me. I'm not sure yet. It'll depend on his um, on his availability. It's very important and very busy these days. Uh, thank you for recommending Stranger Things. I will go ahead and watch uh, the show. Uh, yeah, go uh, ahead and watch it. It's, it's pretty good. All right, good. Uh, back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.